Hello and welcome to Portrait of a Londoner. I'm Katrina and today with Muna we're talking to Francisco Garcia. Francisco is a journalist who's written for Vice, The New Statesman, The Independent and The Guardian. Over the last 12 months he's been reporting on the missing people's crisis and he's currently writing a book about missing people in the UK including the search for his own father which will be published in 2021. We first became aware of Francisco after reading a piece he wrote for Vice in which he describes the day when, age seven, he found out his mother had died of breast cancer. He was raised by his aunt, who had moved out from Scotland, and his grandmother, who he was extremely close to, but sadly also lost to breast cancer when he was 16. Just a heads up, we discussed the loss of a loved one at a young age, which might be distressing to some listeners. I lost my own mother just after I turned 17, and it was the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with. One of the things that got me through was having the support of family. And I wanted to start the conversation by asking Francisco how he managed that time just after his mother had died. I was very lucky that I had an amazing support network around me from, from very young onwards, through teenage years to now, to be honest. So... I was at Fairlawn Primary School just up the road from here and like to this day, as I get older, I start to appreciate more how how amazing that, for want of a better word, yeah, community around the school like rallied round. And I don't think that's a common occurrence wherever you are in the country, let alone in a city that you're told is meant to be the most like, yeah, cold and alienating place and blah, 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 blah. We had a particularly like spectacularly good teacher who became a very close family friend and who did like so much and even like parents and my friends or whatever really were extremely understanding and extremely um, supportive. Yeah, in every, in every way you could imagine, like from practical things to like picking me up from school to all this whole realm of stuff. It must sound, I always think about this as I get older as well, it must sound quite dysfunctional from the outsides. Like when you hear, when, it, when I hear someone read it back, you go, oh, that sounds quite mad actually. But it, it felt very normal, like not normal, completely abnormal, but life has that way of just going on. And I had amazing, I've got amazing family as well. So my auntie came back to look after me and not look after my grand, but live with my grand and do the things that like my grand being an eight year old woman couldn't do, <laughs> you know, like, you know, getting around for example. <laughs> but like I lived and that felt like a very like extremely tight family unit and I thought it was very normal growing up so yeah it wasn't it's obviously lots of it was pretty difficult at times and hard to understand but then you know I think I think kids particularly are very adaptable to to change yeah. like you see it with any kids they haven't experienced all the stuff that life has to throw at them yet and then when it does you're just resilient you just bounce back in a although I'm not and then that's not to downplay like then of course it is very damaging to a lot of your development as well but I don't think you underestimate the resilience of of people particularly kids Absolutely. <laughs> silly as that might sound so you, so you have that unit you kind of 100%, you, but yeah yeah, yeah 100% how do you think it's impacted on your life the death is just the beginning and you know you kind of learn to live with this and it you know impacts you in different ways throughout your life how have you uh, navigated it's interesting. Like you, you'll know like what experience you in your adolescence with you know yeah. losing someone extremely close to you that I think it's almost like there's a sense that it impacts you at different stages differently like when I was a kid I mean it's just that immediate shock of well my mum's gone and like that's that's it like that's my life now and that being extremely raw and difficult then the next stage being I don't know, just the next stage. Like, you get on, as sad as it sounds, like, your life does go on and, you know, you're still going to school and making friends and hanging out, playing 
Xbox or whatever your friend's house and, you know, enjoying trips with your grand and your aunt and your blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And then I think moving forward through that was, like, I was in, like, we moved away and then, like, had this very complicated long thing of, like, back and forth for ages. But then I've always, I think it basically, from childhood, like, solidified very much for good or ill, like, the connection to this area. That's the one, been the one constant, like, thread throughout my life is that I've always felt like I I like being, if not here, like, not too far away. Like, I've not really escaped (laughs) very far. Like, I'm in Nunhead now. So it's just like, and for me, that's like the outer limit. <laughs> but I've also realised this is the thing. It just made this connection with this area so, I don't know, unshakable. I sort of realised as well a few years ago, I was in Scotland studying and I came back and I moved like round the corner to Man and Mount, if you know that. It's like, yeah. that's, and that's round the corner from where I grew up, literally round the corner. And there was like a very um, odd sensation that I, I was living in this like pretty rubbish, like, attic flat I could look out from the bedroom window over like my garden from my family home and I was like whoa this is too much I didn't think it would affect me really I was like oh, I'm, an, I'm an adult man now I can you know I'm over it all it's fine I was like oh no it's actually quite um quite a strange experience if that makes sense yeah. so yeah I mean to answer your question in a very circuitous way it has shaped my life to be honest a bereavement at that age or any age really I think actually I've come to peace with the fact that that was actually probably the central defining moment of my life what happened when I was seven and I didn't really understand that for years. You don't understand that when you're a teenager or a young, even a young adult. Can you describe how you think you you might be living your life differently now compared to if you hadn't have lost your mum? Mm. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think about it a lot, but it's almost like, it's like when you read a a book, like a revisionist history book or something, you read it and it's like a counterfactual, what happened if this thing happened in history? It's like, and someone speculates about, it's like, I don't know. Like, I think about it a lot. I think it's too impossible to say like mm. I think a lot of things wouldn't have happened but materially for example I wouldn't have the connection with Scotland that I have I wouldn't have I don't think I'd be as close to my auntie who raised me who we have an extremely close bond I didn't really know her that well before and she was living in Scotland I don't think any occasion would have her there'd be no occasion for her to move back to London if my mum hadn't died and she I'm sure we'd have had a great relationship as auntie and nephew but that closeness like, I don't think that would have existed. In some ways, your mum, your mum's death was final, and so it was something that happened. And you know, she she died of breast cancer. Your father left a bit earlier and left the family home and didn't return. How how did that impact you? And yeah, no, enormously. I think I think that was almost it's it's a it's a funny one. I'm trying to explain this in the most succinct way. Basically, he had a lot of issues, substance abuse problems, and health issues, and all sorts of different things. And like, I didn't realise this until relatively recently. But he was an extremely young man. Like when he came over here, my mum much younger than my mum. She's in her like early thirties, maybe or late twenties. But he was like 21, and they'd met in Spain. He came over here, didn't speak very good English. Came from an extremely, I'm not even sure the right way to describe it, working class, but also um, quite chaotic family background in a very poor part of Spain. I didn't realise until later that he got very, like, he was treated very badly at work and exploited and, like, he was a painter and decorator and worked in construction, but, like, it wasn't a good time. He's a very vulnerable guy. He went, yeah, he, like, I think my mum chucked him out or something when I was, like, four. But he came back after that. I think they, like, patched it up. But then it was quite apparent that she was getting quite unwell, like, terminally unwell, and like, he couldn't cope with it. He couldn't cope with life, to be honest, let alone, like... He's a young kid, really. He's a kid, yeah. And he, he couldn't cope with it. Just, you know, some people, like, they don't... There's, like, a, they're missing a skin or they're missing something that helps them exist in the, the world as it is. I think he's one of those people. And then when my mum died, when I was seven, he just couldn't, like, handle it, and he just went back to Spain. I think it's actually completely for the best. The thing that I take up to the present is that, like, a year later, me and my auntie went to see him in Spain, 
and this is it was, it was like very raw time of life like when after all that stuff has happened like everything's kicking off in different ways at home and you know around i don't really i don't really understand it because i'm a kid but you do understand it you know we went to see him and it was just like a disaster like a complete disaster like he was really um unwell and uh his you know his life had just like spiraled even more out of control really and it started then, but then even then got an insight into where he come from because like, i was like oh this is like really raw like, i thought i thought i was like very like being around here i thought like oh you know i've seen a lot of even as a kid you're like oh like i think i've seen a bit of life and da, 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 da. but then like no i was like this is raw it was very raw and came back and i like as much in as much as he never made an effort to get back in touch i don't know what happened to him So now you're currently writing a book and triggered by the experience, I suppose, of, of losing your dad or not knowing where he is. But you've now had the opportunity to talk to lots of other people, I suppose, in similar situations. Completely. Can you tell us a bit about your book and what you've also learned in the process talking to other people? Yeah, no, I'd be delighted to. It's basically like, to answer this question, I've got to go slightly back to that one, if that's all right. Just yeah, to course. say that there's, um, you know, you're talking about things shape you. I don't think it's an accident I've gone into like being a journalist or a writer or whatever. I, I, my grandmother who grew up with w- way back in the day was a, was a journalist. But then like, I think in that era you had kids and like her career just, she couldn't do it anymore. Um, but I grew up with her and she was probably one of the like the real formative influence, like good or real. <laughs> there was just this incredible woman who was totally like raconteur, like had this way of seeing life and made, like we didn't have, you know, crazy like boring cliche but like, we didn't have much money growing up but like I got this incredible almost home education from her of like reading and appreciating things and trying to think about the world in this way and experience that so ever since then like not even consciously like I went for that stage all adolescent boys go through as well we're like oh I don't like reading it's stupid I don't like blah, blah, blah. got through that and then like just was like right I want to do this with my life never even thought of consciously I was like I just can't imagine doing anything else so then fast forward a little bit when I was maybe about three or four years ago um when I was like my career was starting to like take off a little bit and I could like sack off the other jobs that I was doing to just do that I started realizing I was gravitating towards certain kind of stories because I always thought like you know telling someone else is like telling people stories is just the most amazing like thing to do with your time as I'm sure you're discovering with this podcast like it's an incredible thing to like privilege to listen to people and to talk to people and to like try and shine a light on certain different things so I started to realize that there are loads of different things I was interested in had this common denominator running through so I was interested in like writing about homelessness or cuts to mental health provision or human trafficking or all these different things and I realized that there was a thread that they're all stories about missing people and then I, th- I was th- always thought about this as like well how do I explain my dad's story like he's not dead I, I, he might well be dead I don't know he's not uh, in vision he's a missing person not in the sense that he's a statistic or a police report but he is missing from my life which i think and the more people i speak to the more i realize that so there's a, there's 180,000 people each year reported missing and that can run the gamut of the gamut of people with dementia runaway teens people that go in and out of sight which is most missing people and of course there are the more sensational cases of you know the long term missing who have been taken from from view but then i thought well, that's a reported number. And then the more charities, police officers, people I spoke to, they were like, well, that's the reported number. We don't have a clue what the real number is. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. It's like, this, that's, that's the story in the margins. And I think a lot of people be people like my dad where they're like, they're, they're missing from people's lives, but they're never going to be reported 
Because if I was, if we even gone to the police at that, that age and went, look, my, my dad has gone back to Spain. I don't know what happened to him. They'll be like, well, he's an adult man. He made a choice. Like, that's not a police matter. <laughs> so loads of people will be experiencing that similar kind of missing. And that, that kind of, so that fascinated me. And I thought, and also I realised that no one was really writing about miss, missing people in Britain in a way that isn't just like a schlocky Netflix thing or a, you know, a sensational like thing like Madeleine McCann or something. It's, like, it's actually it's a massive issue that affects so many people, all walks of life. No one's immune from, you might, even if you're like, you think your life is extremely comfortable and great, no one's that many steps removed from not being in sight anymore. And it might be an elderly parent or it might be a, a you know, recalcitrant teenager. It might be, or it might be, you, you know, might be yourself. You might have a mental health collapse. You never know. You know, you might just... You might want to go missing. You might want to step outside of your life for a bit. I also think it's a fantasy we all hold at some point. So when life is bad and stressful, you think, oh, it'd be amazing to just walk out the door for a bit and no one knew. I just, I just want to go by myself for a, a couple of days. And no, I don't know, want anyone to know where I am or my problems to find me. That's a missing person. So yeah, I, I just got fascinated in that. Is he missing from um, the rest of his family? Like, are you in touch with his wider family? No, I don't, this, this is the question. This is what I'm, I'm working towards at the moment is that I... They would know what happened to him. But I think it's fair to say now, after like 20 years, like we're very much estranged. And, and, I've, and I've got to think about as responsibility here for me, as a, not as to ethically as a journalist, but like as a person, I'm, I'm struggling with the question at the moment about is it the right thing for me to... I don't mind writing about it from a sense of remove and even going back to Spain and thinking about all this story, but is it right for me to go and look for him when he didn't want to be looked for? Like, is, do, do I have a right to, to intrude on... It is my family, I guess, but, like, just arrive and be like, hey, like... In some ways, do you think then, because you've made peace with it and you've made that decision at quite a young age, it's now not something that you want to kind of go kind of digging around about? Like, you've kind of made that decision, you've kind of consciously said, look, I am, you know, I'm not I'm not going to pursue... I'm not going to pursue it. I just... That's one part of my life that is now closed. Yeah, I think that's something I felt for a lot, a lot of years. And I know that my family who, like my aunt, both my aunties and, like, my uncle and stuff, they're, like, they're worried that it's going to... I don't think they are now, because we've discussed it at great length, but I don't think... I think they were very worried about, what, like, what the process would would mean and what, what it might potentially, you know, bring up or, or like, you know, how it would impact me. Yeah. But I had to explain to them, like, look, this is, like... Yeah, for years I didn't, like... I was, I'm just, like, bumbling along. I want to, like... I'm living my life. I'm, I'm actually very, like... I. I have my. I, I like to think in the, in the sense as much as you ever can. As we've just like as we've said, like I've made peace with a lot of stuff, and like I'm I'm very happy with my life. <laughs> like it's good, and I'm enjoying myself. And touch woods, everything's all right, you know. But I think like it would always gnaw at me, <laughs> like until my dying day, if I didn't just know what happened to him. Like without even like I just want to know. Like it doesn't have to be this big reunion, even if he's alive. I don't want to have this. I haven't got this vision in my head of it's going to be this grand like amazing hollywood reunion like i just want to know like is he alive is he dead if he died how did he die i'm perfect and it's like i feel almost it might sound crazy and very cold-blooded but like i feel almost a bit dispassionate about it now it's been so many years if it, if i tried this even five years ago i wouldn't have felt that way i would have felt like too too uh near to it but something about the 20th anniversary i was like you know that's a big milestone <laughs> like and it's and if not now when like i don't know when, when i'll do it i will always put it off so i thought this is a great opportunity to do it find out 
mean, I'm amazed, basically, the way you talk about him. It's like you've completely forgiven him. You're very understanding. You realise all the backstory that he was an immigrant. English wasn't his first language. He had substance abuse problems. You don't seem to hold any anger in the way you talk about him. And, you know, how have you come to that place of forgiveness and understanding? Oh, that's a good question. Like, I think and for a lot of years, I think life was always too busy to and too... Life was always a bit too pressing to like have time to be resentful in that sense. Of course, I was. I must have been, but like, I didn't, it was never really in conscious, like the forefront of my thoughts. I was always like, "Well, my life is with my gran and my auntie. That's a family unit." And I'm still being like a complete shithead teenager. Like, of course I was, but like, I, it wasn't in that. I wasn't like, I wasn't. Oh, I'm so resentful about this. I was just resentful about the usual teenage stuff, you know, being yeah. hormonal and like. Why am I? Why's my car? Why's my curfew 10 p.m.? I can't believe this. This is so ridiculous. Like, why? Would, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's been an idiot, right? And then I grew out of that quite quickly. I think. Again, it's this timeline of like, well, my mum's death was always much more important to me than my dad's disappearance. I didn't. I don't think I ever really knew my dad to be honest. I knew him from. I knew him from as like a presence, but I was so young. Like, and we know. Yeah. We know. In like, my mum was like my life, really. And then like, her death was more important. More important, if that makes sense. I, I didn't have time to think about this other thing for ages, and then the other focus was my gran like and then in denial about the fact she's very old and like she's gonna probably die soon like is was that that took up my time as well and that was much more important when I was a teenager it's only later I start thinking about this might sound actually mad and I do what honestly mean it's in the bottom of my heart I don't think I ever held up like any any crazy resentment even as a teenager and a kid because life was just too much in the way of of that <laughs> I completely empathize with that I'm a, I was a bit older than you when I lost my mum of 16 I had siblings who were a lot younger and you know how it's hit us very differently because of our different ages but something you mentioned and we talked spoke before we started recording about understanding your father being a being a uh, you know a grown man understanding that he was a kid and you know trying to you know understanding his difficulties I think and totally you know that it's a crazy moment when you realize I'm older now mm. than my dad yeah. like was when he had me yeah and also like I think it's probably around the same age when like I'm 27 probably around the same age when my mum died and stuff so I'm like oh my god that was like wh- I couldn't handle that mm. like I couldn't handle having a kid like mm. and that's, that's terrible I genuinely think like I'm not ready for that mm. Like, and I don't, and I live in like my hometown. Mm. Uh, I couldn't imagine going to Spain and doing that with, you know, having a kid. Like, yeah. of course, it doesn't excuse. But I, and the other thing I have to worry about is like, not worry about, but think about is, well, I can't just excuse all of his behaviour. Like, I, I should. There's a little bit of me that still is just like, sort your shit out. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, there is excuses to a point, but like you, you know, like you could have handled all of this other stuff so much better or, or had someone around you handle it better for you like mm. and he didn't but yeah it's a mad feeling to think like no I feel the way my life has gone the way his life went are two mm. completely irreconcilable things we don't I doesn't even feel because you want to feel continuity of your parents right yeah you want to at least feel there's a your life may be very different but you want to feel there's like a thread that connects you in some way I, was like, I don't even see that thread with me and my dad it's like we share the same name and like the same DNA, but we don't share any like, commonality in any sense, really. Going back to your book again, are there common themes in many of the stories you've researched about missing people? Definitely, yeah, definitely. I spent 
the last couple of weeks. So the last last week I was in Scotland, like reporting on, yeah, and I met a, friend, a very old friend of mine. He had a very traumatic experience when like we were graduating, and um, his mum went missing. She had a long history of like depression and mental illness, and she went. It was like a local. It was a local news story for a bit in in Scotland in this place in this bit of Scotland, and uh, four months later she was found. She committed suicide basically, and her body was found. It's awful, and he had to live with that uncertainty for four months. And his dad's got like MS, and like it's it's, it's almost like a, co- a catalogue of like like just the most hell you can imagine. And like he's but he's just this amazing guy. <laughs> like I can't even describe him. He's just this incredible energy he's always had. People react to that kind of thing when that happens in your life, like at any major horrible event like that not always but mostly there's two paths you can take there's one that people and absolutely justifiably there's no right way but some people are like it it gets them and it like it really gets them for a long time maybe forever and it changes them and in a bad way not Mm. not i'm not trying to say in a bad way but like some people react that way to grief and the hell of like dealing with that kind of missing other and some other people just like their energy gets channeled in something different and that can be good and bad because like it's a man I, I definitely had this like manic burst of energy to do all the stuff and that's your way of getting through it and getting past it but you're actually just repressing loads of stuff as well but he is in the latter camp he went to uni social worker now works with people with mental health problems works with like he's just this incredible guy but then we were talking about it and the, the common thread that runs through like his story and so many other people that i've spoken to is like you're never going to have if, if you're looking for something like closure, this word closure, you're always going to be disappointed because things don't work that way. Whether that's, whether that's a, a immediate bereavement or the bereavement of missing, where you don't know, it's you know ambiguous loss. Um, like, stop looking for that because if, even if you find, you literally find the body as he did with his mum, like that's not closure. That's just another level of just like hell to deal with, and you'll never get the answer why. You'll never understand like the how. You never understand, you know. You're going to be angry and resentful and at, at that person and stuff, and that's fine as well. There's a common thread that runs through it in terms of for people that haven't, don't even work in the field or have directly experienced it. I think there's a lot of um, common misconceptions that are shared by a lot of people. I certainly shared them before I started researching the the book. I didn't really have the language before I even thought about my dad in that way. I, I didn't think about these things, but like missing isn't. Um, it's not very exciting a lot of the time. Like, it's very boring. Like, it's, it's very tedious. Like, people haven't probably gone very far. Like, the journeys to get where they've gone, like, the things you have to worry about are, like, you can't pay with a debit. If you want to go missing, you can't pay with a debit card because that can be traced. Like, it's all these little mundane, like, little things. And it's just this catalogue of just, like, petty everyday boredoms, most of it. The other thing, I would say that people that I've met that are living in the shadow of, say, a particular kind of long-term missing. You know, we think about like, someone's gone and they're never... Like, we, you don't know what happened to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that is some of the most, like, painful... Pained people that I've ever seen in my life. Like, I think, you know, for example, when someone... Yeah, when someone dies... Like I say, that word closure doesn't exist, but you have something to focus your, like... Your immediate pain and anguish on, right? Like, I've seen people... Met people that are living in the shadow of, like their brother went missing like 25 years ago. That's that's maybe half a lifetime, you know, it's a long, long time. And they've gone through every stage of like grief and and then back again, like, because there's nothing to hold on to, there's nothing to focus. And I think it's very difficult as well, a lot of time, a lot for a lot of people when it comes to missing, like they don't understand why their story doesn't get attention. I don't know if you ever see like, you know, you might be walking around the local area or like the the borough or like South London, you might see like, 
posters in yeah. in, uh, in bus stops or whatever of like, oh, this person went missing from da 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 da. Like to that family, that is the most like unimaginable, and their friends, that's the most unimaginably like seismic event when someone goes missing. Like to most other people, unfortunately, like you look at it, oh, that's sad, and then you walk on. People can't understand why <laughs> they're loss and they're you know they're, all this stress they're going through isn't the fo- the locus the focus of like the world yeah. <laughs> it's very odd yeah, yeah. in your um, vice article you talk fondly about forest hill in the area that we uh, we are currently sat in and it has a magical quality what do you love about the area oh it's it's honestly it's, it's almost difficult to to speak into existence like there's something maybe it is because of because of my history here maybe it's because you know i've got a very like fond and like unbreakable like attachment almost to it as we discussed a little bit earlier but like I think it's got this quality that I don't think anywhere else at least I know in London has where you've got like you're surrounded by much more well-known places that are much more like typical like Peckham's down there Lewisham's over there you've got like Catford's down there or whatever but it's like here's this elevated like it feels like you're almost as a kid I literally thought about it felt like being on like a like you're on a castle and you're, you're you're looking over the rest of like the cities like you're the main but you're in this like hilltop fort and um even like you know the dawson's heights estate like the ship mm-hmm. even that you like that adds to the it's just a weird place like even walking up to here i was struck about where i am in nunhead literally a couple of miles down the road it's just very very nice cookie cutter uh victorian terraces which is beautiful i think obviously you know it's great but then you come up here and you're like, this just doesn't make any sense. Like, you've got, like, beautiful 1930s houses and, like, weird gothic turrets. You go down to Man and Mount, there's, like, five different insane contrasting architectures that have just been smashed together. Like, it's it's a very weird place. Nowhere like it. There's nowhere like it. It's completely... I do actually think it's completely unique. And it's also... That magical quality is that sense of, like, this is real, like, misty-eyed idiot romantic rambling but i do honestly think that there's like the presence of like the trees and the elevation like if you go through it on the bus you do actually feel like you're going into this like bizarre wonderland like and then coming out and you're in lewisham but it's just like doesn't make any sense and oh no i i could also just to slightly row back is like but then all of this is true and I, i strongly believe all of this to be true but like it also can feel a little bit maybe it's something about the height again it can feel a little bit of a suffocating place in that for me personally I don't know about anyone else but like there's so much like the streets genuinely have like evocative memories like or physical memories of stuff that feels quite oppressive sometimes at the same way like I love being here for like a few days or hours but I couldn't I actually don't sometimes I think later in life I would like to settle if I have kids and stuff I would probably like to settle here nothing actually do I? Not that it's not a good place, but do, do I, was, I actually? Like, yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that question. It's just very. You're, you're a little bit out, but you're close by. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that must, you know, is that is there a, a reason for that? Maybe that you're kind of honestly, I didn't choose it. Like, I think, but you know, sometimes your 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 patterns have a way of. Like, you don't think you're, you're consciously choosing things, but like the patterns in your life actually tell you, like the pattern of your choices. Like, I moved back here. That was too much. Moved to Nunheads. I've pretty much been there ever since. How long is that now? few years anyway um i was back here for a year like and sometimes i toy with the idea of like oh it'd be nice to like move somewhere i've never lived before like i, I don't know like the streets aren't stupidly familiar and like 
But then I go to other bits of London and I'm like, this this is rubbish. Like it doesn't it doesn't compare to like being home. Like but home has to be just just a little bit out. I like the idea of being on a Sunday, like I can walk with my partner like up the hill and like walk about in, in Forest and have a nice time. But then like I'm happy to walk back down the hill <laughs> and go home. Like, yeah. You'll have seen some changes, though, I can imagine, oh, in terms enormous, of... enormous, yeah. enormous. I think that, that's the other bit. The area that you grew up in to what it oh is now. Oh, my God, this is, this is something that I feel, ex- like, extremely strongly about. Like, it's... I was actually having this conversation last night where, you know, part of the... Like, something as petty and stupid as, like, I was walking down uh, the main road, and I was like, what? I don't know what it is now. It's like a Costa Coffee or something now. And it was... It used to be before... It was a hardware shop. Before that, you can still sort of see by the colouring it was a blockbusters for years and like oh I was like when I was a kid I used to go there and get my PS2 game or whatever and uh, you know whatever stupid film I was getting out and I was like getting really annoyed I was like oh why the rate of change that's so stupid like why you know I was like well no it's perfectly like normal and natural and also it's all that feeling of resent towards the change in an area is because it makes you much more conscious of the way like your life is you're getting older. <laughs> Your life is, is moving in a different direction. And the past that you hold on, the past that you know, we all hold on to, but the past I hold on to, like, I want that to stay trapped in time. Like, but with the area changes, those memories start to feel more, even more unreal, even stranger, even less like they ever happened. Like, you know, we were talking about earlier about like, well, like if my mum was still around, I was like, would you even recognize? You would, because it's still the same physical area, but like just little things at like the shops. So Francisco, to finish our conversation today, you're going to read a poem for us. And this is by one of your grandmother's favourite poets. Can you just tell us a little bit about the poet and why why this poem means so much to you? Yeah, of course. It was um it's Anthony Hecht, a really wonderful American poet of the twentieth century, who's a this incredible German Jewish New York character, a spectacular poet, and I think someone my grand must have related to on a level because she's she was jewish and there's a very strong sensibility of that that runs throughout the poetry but it's just this wonderful 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 stuff that tells us like so much about being alive <laughs> and the condition of being alive yeah it's wonderful and this particular poem what's he what's oh, he talking this, about yeah, in this, this poem? is a this is a voice at the seance um which is taken from the venetian vespers um brilliant collection it's basically it's it's in the it's a voice speaking back from behind the veil of death to the living and trying to the best in the limited language that we have to explain what that state is to the living. It's rather strange to be speaking, but I know you are there, wanting to know as if it were worth knowing. Nor is it important that I died in combat in a good cause or an indifferent one. Such things, it may surprise you, are not regarded. Something too much of this. You are bound to be disappointed, wanting to know are there any bees? It is all different from what you suppose, and the darkness is not darkness exactly, but patience, silence, withdrawal, the sad knowledge that it was almost impossible not to hurt anyone, whether by action or inaction. At the beginning, of course, there was a sense of loss, not of one's own life, but of what seemed the easy, desirable lives one might have led. Fame, fame or wealth are hard to achieve, and goodness even harder. But the cost of all, them, all of them is a familiar deformity, such as everyone suffers from. An allergy to certain foods, nausea, the sight of blood, a slight impediment of speech, shame at one's own body, a fear of heights or claustrophobia. What you learn has nothing whatever to do with joy. 
nor with sadness either. You are mostly silent. You come to a gentle indifference about being thought either a fool or someone with valuable secrets. It may be the ultimate wisdom lies in saying nothing. I think I may already have said too much. Thank you for listening to Portrait of a Londoner. And we really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Francisco today. We were really impressed by how open he was um, and how despite dealing with some huge losses and dealt with some real trauma, he's able to come to a place of forgiveness and acceptance. If you have any thoughts or comments, please do get in touch um, either by emailing us and our email address is portraitofalondoner at gmail.com or we're on Instagram at Portrait of a Londoner and we're also on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to find out more about Francisco, he's represented by Curtis Brown. He's also on Twitter at Francisco DGF. We'll be back next time with another interesting conversation. But until then, thank you for listening.